Welcome to the Sway Effect podcast, a series featuring the innovators, disruptors, movers, and shakers that are shaping the marketing communications industry today. I'm Jennifer Risi, the founder and president of the Sway Effect. Thank you for joining us for our next episode of the Sway Effect podcast. It's hard to believe we're already in November and the holidays are just around the corner. Despite the challenges of the past year, I've been lucky as an entrepreneur to experience a year of growth on so many levels, from new clients, partner collaborations, and expanding our team. I continue to be humbled and beyond grateful. In the spirit of gratitude, I'm delighted to have as my guest today, senior writer and host at Bloomberg News, Karen Tulin. She's an award-winning multi-platform journalist and host who covers global business, the economy, and cultural news. And now we can add author to that list. Karen has received the Gwen Ifill Award for the International Women's Media Foundation and a Pegasus Award for the News Women's Club of New York for leadership in diversity and mentoring. She's also part of the team reporting on Black-owned small businesses for Bloomberg's Business Weeks, earning a Society for Advancing Business Editors and Writers Award. Karen is a pioneer in media and journalism, and I'm thrilled that she's here today to share her new book, The ABC is a Paradise Found, a book that I might add that she collaborated on with her husband who illustrated the story. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. Jen, thank you so much for having me. This is a true delight. Well, let's first talk about um, the new book, The ABC is a Paradise Found. What is the book about and what was your inspiration behind it? Well, the book at essence really is about, about memories. It's a love story about memories, um, family memories, personal memories, childhood memories. Um, it's told through the lens of a couple of two people, a woman and a man who meet by chance on a beach in the Caribbean. And from there, they discover each other while also discovering the island and its foods and its festivals and and its topography. Um, so as they move through the alphabet, literally A to Z, um, you kind of experience how they experience each other and their surroundings. So why why now? I mean, you have an amazing career. You're, you're a powerhouse at Bloomberg right now. Why write this book now? The, the real impetus uh, for this story was that my mother was, was, we were losing her to Alzheimer's and she was, and she was, she was kind of, of course, clearly losing her memories. And I wanted to somehow preserve our family stories and, and foods and references to, to traditions um, kind of as a tribute to her. I knew she would never go back to her home island. And I knew that my father would never leave her side. And so I chose to write about it um, in a very kind of very, very Karen sort of way, very quickly and efficiently, but just to kind of help cement some of those memories for all of us. That's wonderful. I mean, the, the book, I, I took a, a skim at it the pictures, the illustrations are are beautiful. The story is is beyond compelling and and heart and heartwarming. And just it's it's a great experience. And I look forward to joining you at your book party next month. Talk a little bit about the the process, the process of of everything that you learned throughout this whole thing. Well, you know, once I decided to try to write these stories, um, I I wrote the entire book. Uh, let's be clear, it's only 60 pages, including the illustrations, because it is literally A to Z, every letter is its own little vignette. Right. I wrote it on my phone. 
I wrote it in the notes section wow. on my phone. And as I would make my way through the day, um, or even internationally, at that point I'd traveled, at one point I was writing some, some segments when I was in South Africa and Ghana. But I would just literally write whenever I thought, oh, this would be good for A, or this would be good for, for W. Speaking of W, W was the first letter that I wrote. Um, and when I started out with this project, I thought it will just literally be like A is for apple, B is for boy. There would be no story. But W was the first letter that I wrote because WAB is a, 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 a national dress and I had a custom bespoke WAB made for myself. And so I wrote WAB, W is for WAB. I put on my WAB and then I added on for some reason for you. I put on my WAB for you. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be about about these two people because she's she's putting on this this dress to show someone and why would she do that and from there just kind of progressed the story is interesting in a way because every person that I had pre-read it brought it was almost like a Rorschach test I, each person brought their own like oh they're having an affair or um, they're in hiding um, or they're they're you know they're old lovers who reconnected they don't have names they don't have faces they don't have professions we don't know anything about them except what they choose to share. And so that was my process. And the other process was actually working with my husband, artist Eric Reinhardt, um, who did all 26 original watercolor paintings. And he's actually going to be in a show in Miami in Gallery 88 in um, in January. Wow. Um, but so that that process was interesting. Anyone who's tried to work with a partner, a life partner, um, we're still married, so that's good. <laughs> but uh, it was it was interesting trying to get him to um, understand my vision for the very very short little story and how his illustrations kind of add and, and supplement. So, from your original idea to where it ended up, how much how different is it? Not at all, frankly. I didn't change the words. Um, maybe it's the journalist in me, but you kind of write it and you know it's true and good yeah. and, and as good as it should be. And therefore, there it is. And so I really didn't do any alters of the of the text. It Again, it wrote very, very quickly. It was just between 2019 and now was um, getting all the paintings done finding a publisher that would take us on as a project because it is unusual. It's not a children's book. It's not, it's so many things that it's not. And so finding a publisher who kind of understood the vision and say, yeah, we, we think that we could, like, we think there is a market for this, but it isn't an easy, necessarily an easy find. Um, and so that took a little bit of time. I was going to ask with your process of identifying the publisher and who was going to bring the book to market, was there a certain type of, of house you were looking for? Um, was there anyone specifically you wanted to work with? You know, I think it was very fortuitous. Originally, we were working with one woman who was fantastic, who, who really believed that there was a, a there there. Ultimately, we ended up working with Word E, Word and then three E's on the end, a minority-owned women publisher. Um, the founder, Marva Allen, uh, was the founder of Human Books in Harlem, uh, for those who remember that. Right. And it really is perfect. Um, it really 
speaks to kind of who I am as a person and, and how Eric and I try to live our lives. We love major companies. We love big, bright, shiny things, but we really also love working with smaller businesses and people who, who kind of hand tool things. And so Wordy has just been a perfect match for us, um, working with, with a woman-owned company who believed in our project and wasn't really stuck on what shelf would it be on. Right which is really big and, and, and important, very valid to think about your market. Right. What have you learned about yourself through this process? I guess I figured out that I do like writing fiction because I've never done that before. I really do love collaboration. And I, I, so I had to collaborate with my husband. And I, I guess you think you collaborate all the time, but it was really nice to sit down and really think about what is an image going to say right. or, or not say? How do we d depict, um, even though they're not named, how do we depict various people in, in terms of size and, and, and gender? And it, 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 I really enjoy collaboration. I really love creating. Um, and I think... The book to me is just an offshoot of my incessant redecorating, my love of cooking, my obsession with some shoes. Uh, it, it just is an offshoot of that. It's another way of expressing yourself. I love that there's so many visuals to accompany the words. I mean, I think that sometimes writers and, and folks that put books together, they're just very much, they stick to the, the formula and what, what people usually do. And I loved when I first heard about this and I got the first invitation to come to the launch next month, I was like, oh my God, look at the visuals that go with this story. You don't see that anymore because people think of that like a children's book, but we all want that type of freshness and richness when we read too, as we get older. Yeah, I, that's, I'm so glad you feel that way because I, in my mind, it really was like a grown-up fairy tale, right? Only she's not a princess and he's not a prince. Right. And, but there is magic. I mean, she certainly has her beliefs in, in fantasy and spirits. Um, although it, it, for, you never really question whether she's an intelligent person. She clearly seems like she's an intelligent person, but she also believes in magic. And she's a little annoying in a way. I, and people who may know me probably think, oh gosh, it sounds a lot like Karen. But <laughs> the visuals were really important because they're luscious and they invite you in and you can put yourself in in each little vignette because at the end of the day all of our family stories are are terribly similar you know it's not about the thing i discuss i describe a callaloo which is a traditional soup meal one of those wonderful one pot meals and almost every culture has that one pot meal everyone will understand you throw all of these ingredients in and to other people it might seem odd, but it's delicious and you dive into it. And so while I describe some very specific things, they're very universal in a way. And I think that was also something that I enjoyed as I wrote it. And perhaps that's why I enjoy being a journalist. Everything is very unique and specific, right. but, but at core, how people feel and, res and respond often is universal. I think you cannot be a better time for a book like yours. I mean, we've all been through so much with COVID and all the things that we've all had to deal with. Not, there, it's not been easy. We all know that. And we've all wanted a sense of, of family. We've all wanted to be with people we love. We all want to feel nostalgic. We want to feel safe. We want to enjoy ourselves. But we also 
think we just don't know sometimes what's going to happen. A book like this is what I think people need right now um, more than ever. It's just it's a place to feel good, to escape, but also to reconnect and also figure out how it also connects back to you. I, I, I do appreciate that. We Actually, we lost my mom in April of 2020, just after the lockdown, lockdown started. And we lost her to Alzheimer's, but certainly exacerbated by being in lockdown suddenly. And I think that she would really love this story because it is really a celebration of the little things in life. Because I mean, we, we were a very fortunate family. We've always had everything that we've wanted. But the things that we've always really needed were were the laughs that we've had together and the joy and the happiness and the silliness and the people who are cranky. That's what that's the real richness of life. And I think that the book tries to kind of capture that in a way. And I think that she would be very pleased um, that Eric and I have done this together. Well, she is pleased. She's seeing it. She's seeing it and she's she's read it. Um, <laughs> this is a very special book. So tell us how and how we can get it. Well, again, Wordy is our publisher. We're on Amazon and Google Books. I, I think we were today's the day. Today's the actual pub date um, as we're speaking on on November 19. People can get our book through Amazon or Google Books, but also directly through our publisher, Wordy. So that's Word and three E's, W-R-D-E-E-E.com is our publisher site, and they can order there. We're on Kindle as well, and we're, we're, we're pretty excited. Very cool. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Just mm -hmm. obviously you are, as we've said, a pioneer and a force in media and journalism. You and I have had the privilege of working together on many different things over the years. Talk a little bit, bit about for our listeners um, how you got into journalism. I uh, was a wonderful English lit major, Dartmouth. I knew that I always, I was obsessed with books. And then I went to Columbia J School. But the real answer to your question is what fascinated me about other people's stories, right? And by other people, I should say other entities. They could be businesses, right? And I think it goes back to family. My parents, before they left, after they left uh, the Commonwealth of Dominica, which is in the Caribbean, they moved to England. They moved. They lived in London for 10 years where I was born. Then they emigrated to America. And they're not the only ones. My family, while being largely based out of the Caribbean, Dominica, Martinique in, in particular, we have relatives from England to Austria to Belgium to Australia, a wee island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, Canada. We are truly an international family. And so I grew up First of all, really understanding foreign exchange. Um, but I grew up being around people who spoke a different language, may not even look like me at all, but we were somehow related. We were family. And we often had that, that Toulon kind of family trait where we were all terribly similar in a very weird way. And I think that just made me feel very comfortable to be around people who just were not like me. Because I grew up in a family where an extended family with hundreds of cousins where frankly people on the surface didn't look necessarily like they were related and didn't have the same day-to-day -day cultural or life experiences. But there was a kernel of that commonness underneath it all. And, you know, one may be a doctor in another country and, and have something in common with a doctor in another country or a business owner. I think that's what kind of made me think about a career in which I would get to tell 
stories. And it happened to be journalism because frankly, that was my first job out there pounding the pavements after Columbia. I was hired by CBS Radio Network to be an associate producer on Business Update, which became, I believe, Marketplace, kind of morphed into Marketplace. And so that experience really helped me think about staying in journalism, being at, at CBS and think, okay, I can do this. I can, I, I'll, I'll stay, I'll stay on this track. Um, and I became magically a, a business reporter and producer. I believe we're all supposed to do what we're meant to do. Like I thought I was going to be a therapist in psychology and I went to Barnard, uh, similarly in the mm-hmm. Columbia world. Um, and I, my first job out of school was communications and I, never left. I never even knew what communications was coming from a liberal arts school. I didn't even know that what we do exists. So I believe we all are supposed to be where we're supposed to be in some crazy way, even though we we, we think we're making choices. Uh, sometimes the world uh, guides us in the right place. So talk a little bit about your journey from your first gig to where you are now. You know, I've been very lucky in my career. I I can't really say, I'd like to say that I've been managing my career meticulously, and I really haven't. I've just really tried to focus on doing really good work and working with really fabulous organizations that I respect. So that to me is the most important thing. After CBS, I I kind of got headhunted to join CNBC about a year after its launch. Uh, By the time I left there, I was one of the two supervising producers for daytime and still producing a daily show. And then I got uh, headhunted again, uh, and I ended up at Reuters relaunch or launch Reuters Financial Television, which was a desktop TV uh, service looking at at, uh, foreign exchange and debt pre-euro. It was a wonderful experience. And then I uh, was looking for something new and different and Bloomberg emerged as some place to go. I've been there for 22 years, which is a really long time. I haven't jumped around a lot. I was a stringer for a local newspaper for a hot minute. But I've been really lucky in that I've always worked in New York at the network level. And that's just been my career. And I think why I've I've had any any success or longevity is that, you know, if it's again, it goes almost goes back to family. What are you trying to achieve? Right. It's not about you. It's about you are in service of the organization that you work for. Right. And so hopefully they're kind and lovely and and you work with wonderful colleagues. But at the end of the day, it's what can you contribute? How can you really tap into all of your talents and really contribute? And for me, I then say, and if it's going to be fantastic, who else can I include? Are there other people that I can invite in to join me in this project? Are there ways that I can bring teams together or people together? That just is, is my personality trait, I guess. But it really goes back to how you're going to support and serve that organization. What are its objectives? And really listen, not to just what people are saying, but what is really the intention? What are we trying to achieve? And then going after it. And I think that's why I've I've managed to survive for a really long time in a very grueling industry and still have a family and pets and you know, all the things that, that you want in a, in a, in a, at least I want in a full and complete life. What's going on in the world right now is, is unprecedented. We're facing challenges like we've never seen before on so many different levels. Yeah. Um, you have been a major advocate for diversity and women since I've known you. That's how I think you and I even connected with some of the brands I work with and bringing them to the table. 
you know, talk a little bit about some of the challenges that women are facing today and, and some of the things that you're seeing day to day, because you look at things just across such a wide spectrum every day. I think that, you know, the challenges, especially because of COVID, the COVID pandemic have hit women particularly hard. Um, why women particularly hard? Because often they're the caregivers in, in, in families. And it, this isn't just about children. You can be the caregiver of a sibling who has special needs. You can be the, the, the go-to person for elderly parents. Women are often on that, on that line of really caring for the dependents in their lives. And it, we've seen that play out across all industries. And I think that's something that we've been reporting on and I think is going to continue to be um, an issue to kind of reconcile and think about how is it that we handle childcare in this country? And I'll throw in, how do we handle elder care? You know, what do you do with, with an elderly parent who needs some place to be during the day and you may need to collect them? And so those I think are really the stresses. I think it continues to be for women how does one progress through through the ranks? How do you get access to funds? We still know that women are are, are underrepresented in terms of getting you know VC dollars. Progress is being made. I think the best thing that's happened over the last couple of years, compared with the all the other times we've looked at this, all the other um, revolutions that we've had, I think how this time is different from other times where where the issues of human rights and civil rights and people rights have come up. So I think that there's more of an understanding this time that um, it's real and that it affects us. If our children are not well looked after, if our, if our people with, with special needs are not looked after, if our seniors are not looked after, if our women are not looked after, if our men are not looked after, we're all going to go down. And I think that there's a little bit more of an understanding and awareness and sensitivity now than there was before. And therefore I am hopeful, not suggesting there isn't so much work to be done. I'm not suggesting that at all, but I am more optimistic. I'm more optimistic too. I think, you know, there's a lot more awareness, which awareness is, is, a, is one of the first steps, right? It's, it's sad that we're still at maybe that stage. Um, I've been asked by journalists, you know, someone like me who works with a lot of brands, you know, are a lot of these declarations, are these really declarations of for PR sake or are they real commitments to drive change? And, you know, some brands are authentically doing things differently and some are just for PR sake. And we all have to just continue to keep brands accountable. Um, folks like yourself um, for doing the reporting and asking the hard questions, but also giving voice to people that might not necessarily have the voice. So I think that folks like you are really helping to shine a light and awareness on people that are doing it right, but also when things are not being done the right way. We do have a, a corporate tracker where we do keep track of commitments made and what's actually being delivered. To go back to the point I was making about awareness, it's not, it's it's global awareness. It's, a, it's awareness within the communities yeah. that yes, this is real and we have to keep pushing and we have to keep talking. One of the things I love about Black in Focus, which is an interview series that I, that I launched this year, is the dedication of the people that I speak with, not only to their own professions and their own gigs and their own companies, but their very real awareness that they have to be looking out for other people in similar businesses, to other people who also want to progress. The sharing of information, the sharing of access, that's to me what is 
really, really interesting and very, very powerful. And yes, there is so much work to be done, especially for, for black and brown people in America. It is still quite shocking and add in women, but the voice I think is there and there is more accountability when companies say that they're going to do something. I think that, that again, it's ba it is baby steps, yep. but it is happening. Agreed. I was actually going to ask you about Black in Focus, the series you created. Why did you create the series? You know, I wanted to kind of, it's going to perhaps sound silly, but I wanted to just normalize Black excellence, that it's not an aberration when you meet a Black doctor. You may not meet many of them for a host of institutional um, reasons, but that person is not an aberration, right? That excellence exists by talking to black people who are who are excelling or at least trying to excel in their uh, professions who are trying to make change in their communities again it's it goes back it's a very universal experience so when i speak with a terence blanchard who's the jazz composer and composed the first opera uh to be performed at the met that was written by a black person we weren't talking about black opera. We were talking about how his childhood experiences and his the wonderful public school that he went to in, in New Orleans really fostered and supported his creativity. That he wasn't creative because he just kind of fell out of the sky. You know, he had support all throughout his life from his parents who were interested in in in, in the arts through his his early education. And we talked about how do you enjoy the opera, right? What is, what is it like to sit there for people who don't go? It's the best way to experience the opera. You know, when I talk with Lachance, the actress, about her return to her being on Broadway, and I'd seen her in one of her first plays in 1990. You know, when I talk to, oh gosh, there's so many people, two young women who are really dedicated to getting more Black women in the PhD track uh, in economics, they all tell just such amazing stories and they're stories that are interesting. They just happen to be people of color. Right. So that was really the very basic kind of thought. And um, and I've enjoyed being able to talk with people, um, you know, as we've done this series. Are you going to continue it? Because I know at one point you had said you were picking a person a week. Oh gosh, it is a it is a heavy lift at times. It is a series, and and we'll see if. Uh, if we keep going with it, you know, there are so many other things though that I also want to do. And I think evolving and not getting stuck, just doing the same thing uh, is also very important to me. Thinking about what's next, what can be done differently? How could we tweak? I think is very, very important. But hearing these voices at this time since March, I think was, was very helpful and informative. Um, I think it was helpful and informative to our audience. And I know to me, frankly, as a journalist, it was helpful and informative as well. So what's next for you? Speaking of what's next. Oh, golly. Well, I'm allegedly working on another book. Um, uh, it's half written. This one, I'm going to get one of my daughters to do the illustrations because I oh, would, awesome. again, like to remain married to my husband. Um, and worse than wallpapering together. I do. <laughs> It is, was, I thought wallpapering together would push us over the edge, but working on uh, the illustrations was was a chore. So I'm going to work with one of my one of my daughters on the next book, and and I actually have another book uh, 
that. So I've kind of two in the hopper and they're just easy to write for me. They're just kind of fun and breezy. So that's, you know, that's what I'm doing on the creative front. And professionally, I just, I just want to continue telling great stories and being of some service. That's really key to me. And I still sit on a number of journalism boards, which is also very important, supporting young journalists and all locally and internationally, and also journalists who really are at risk because uh, journalists are really under under pressure in so many parts of the world, physically at risk. And so I'm really very pleased that I can support some organizations that are really doing God's work. I'm just writing silly little books and trying to talk to people every week. Well, I've so enjoyed having you on the podcast. The one thing we do before we sign off My last thing is um, I usually ask all of my guests a piece of advice. So one piece of advice that you'd give to someone trying to break into journalism today, what would it be? Wow. I think the the answer to that is just really listen. And that can, you know, listen and really observe what's going on around you and ask questions. I think that will help you in your current news organization, will help you if you're trying to break into the business. Really look around globally, look for global trends, look for where you see a problem in one place, look to see how it might be manifesting itself in another place. Listen and, and, and ask questions. That would be my advice. Well, Karen, I've loved listening to you. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. You truly are a pioneer in media and journalism, and I'm so happy to have you on to talk about your new book. So uh, I'll see you next month at the, the launch party or the party in New York. And uh, thank you so much and have a wonderful holiday. Well, thank you so much. And and thanks for listening to me and and, uh, have a good holiday. and, And thanks to all your listeners as well for indulging me for a little bit of time. Thank you for tuning into The Sway Effect, our new podcast series from our network of innovators, disruptors, movers, and shakers that are changing the marketing and communications industry today. So let's sway together. Please like, review, and subscribe to all things that we're doing. Check out our new website at www.theswayeffect.com and follow us on LinkedIn at The Sway Effect.